all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedies Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today on the show, we'll answer your questions about general health and wellness, as always, as well as taking questions that you may have related to coronavirus or COVID-19. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 you can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Josie. Hope that you're doing well. I am all sequestered in my home again, learning how to do this technology. That's right. Josie, for the last few weeks, been joining us via Skype as we practice social distancing, trying to stay apart. And that's something that I think that we all should keep at, try to stay six feet away from everybody in the limited situations where you're out and about now with the stay-at-home order in place. Uh, keep that uh, distance up. And, you know, Josie, you and I, you know about this because we're Facebook friends, but I've kind of found a silver lining, and that is I've had a bike that I rode for a lot for when I first got it, you know, was pretty regular rider, kind of got to put put it away, and, and, and I kept thinking to myself, you know, one of these days I'm going to have to get out and start riding again. Well, mm-hmm. finally this weekend decided, hey, now is the time to do so. Got the bike out, went pedaling around, uh, and it's amazing how when you, you haven't done something for a while like that, you, it, it wears you out a little bit more than it used to. Yes, yes, it does, and I have seen your post, which I'm very proud of you for getting back out there and getting um, trying something that you haven't been used to doing in a while. And, you know, it's a great form of exercise, biking, walking, jogging, heck, just in your backyard doing, you know, jumping jacks and that kind of stuff. Anything to get out, get exposed to some sunshine and and just get your lungs moving some. So uh, we're going to get some of your questions from your Facebook page, uh, Healthy Habits with Josie. But one thing if you, I thought if you could talk about at the top of the show, and that is, you know, the other day when we hear ventilators, I was thinking to myself, well, yeah, I know what a ventilator is. But then I started really thinking about it. I'm like, well, I'm not really sure I do know what a ventilator is. So could you tell us kind of generally what it is and why it's so important in the current situation? Absolutely. So when we talk about ventilator, we're talking about a way to ventilate you, meaning way to a way to facilitate your respirations, right? So normally, if we're not having any problems, you and I and most other healthy adults breathe an average of 12 to 20 times a minute. And it's a relatively um, passive exercise, right? Like you don't consciously think about taking your breath in, putting your breath out. When we start to have pathology or some type of disease process going on, that can impair either our ability to take in a deep breath or our ability to get the air back out. And we've got these little sacs in our lungs. We tend to think about the lungs uh, as just kind of 
two organs, but they're actually comprised of little comprised of little sacs called alveoli. And those are where the actual gas exchange happens, right? Where oxygen comes in and gets swapped out for carbon dioxide. And when we have things like pneumonia that alters the way the alveoli works, it can become harder to ventilate, uh, ventilate yourself as well as different for us to ventilate you as a healthcare provider. Probably the simplest form of um, artificial ventilation is if you've ever seen a medical show where they've got a mask on someone's face and then there's also a bag there and somebody is squeezing the bag. That's called bag mask ventilation. That's often what happens at the beginning of CPR until we get what we call an advanced airway established. And that is when we intubate someone. And so that word's been floating around as well in the media, the word intubation. And what does that mean? And it's actually a specialized tube that goes, it looks like it's going down your throat, but it's actually going kind of through the vocal cords and down into the big, big windpipe area um, so that we can provide oxygen and pressure support to the actual lung tissues. And so when we talk about a mechanical ventilator, that's what it is doing. It is giving pressure to help hold the alveoli open so that they don't collapse and are not able to reopen, as well as rate support. So I mentioned that normal folks breathe somewhere around 12 to 20 times a minute. Um, the ventilator can support that. So if someone was only breathing six times a minute, that's not enough ventilation to oxygenate your body well. So a mechanical ventilator can support the rate as well to make sure that if the person doesn't take a breath on their own, the machine will actually breathe for them. Uh, and the other thing I've heard on the news is that not just anybody can operate a ventilator, that it takes some specialized training uh, to to operate the things. Absolutely. So, of course, we're all watching the number of ventilators across the country. Um, that's what your disaster preparedness and strategic planning teams are doing is looking at what the projected need for ventilators is versus how many we have, how many we can create, how many can be retrofitted, which means changed from you know one particular type of machine into another. But those machines don't necessarily run themselves. They have to be set up by someone who is specifically trained for that, as well as be able to troubleshoot it and adjust um, the, the settings on that based on how the individual patient is doing. And so respiratory therapists are often the ones that are responsible for setting those up in, uh, initially and making adjustments to the settings. Your intensive care physicians and your acute care nurse practitioners um, and your ICU physician assistants are the ones that um, write orders for that on how to manage those. And then your ICU, ICU nurses as well are um, proficient at being able to work with ventilated patients. Your kind of regular RN may not be as comfortable with that. I always have, have joked prior to any of this happening that if you need to be on a ventilator, you need a different nurse than me because that's not my, my area of expertise or training. So it's not just do we have enough beds and do we have enough ventilators? It's making sure we have enough um, trained personnel to run those as well. 
This is Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit with Dr. Josie Bidwell. If you have a question for Josie this morning about uh, corona, uh, the coronavirus or COVID-19 or just about staying healthy and fit in general, Josie's here to help. The number's one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We do have a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Craig calling in from Biloxi. Go ahead, Craig. You're on the air with us. Okay, good morning. Uh, good morning. If someone is sick uh, with a virus, should, is there an optimal temperature or humidity, and should they restrict any type of uh, food, like dairy? Ah, okay. So in terms of temperature, tell me a little bit more what you're meaning there. Temperature of the room? Yes, the room temperature, or even the, even the patient temperature. Should we, like, cover them with blankets and stuff, even if they're chill ah. or... Right. So, you know, in terms of room temperature, it, there's not any adjustments that really need to be made there. Like we don't want to turn it way down to try and bring down um, a temperature that way. We also don't want to overload on blankets. It's kind of the same care that you would do for someone who had seasonal influenza or, you know, any other type of illness that causes a fever is we don't want to kind of tuck them in tight and cover them up with a bunch of blankets because that may make the the their body temperature go higher. Um, you want to use what they're comfortable with. So, you know, a sheet and a blanket that is giving them comfort, a room temperature that they're finding comfortable, and then medication to reduce their fever. In terms of foods, I tend to give the advice of whatever they're able to eat and keep down, right? You know, so there's kind of been that uh, notion that if you're running a fever, we don't want to do dairy because it'll sour on the stomach. I think it's perfectly fine to skip dairy, but if ice cream is the only thing that sounds good, that's probably not going to be the worst thing that you could do. But again, some folks are having kind of stomach upset with this particular infection, and so we want to be gentle on the belly. And so things that are, you know, not spicy, not um, really acidic are going to be better on the, the stomach, you know, tend to think about starting with really, really bland things. So maybe tea or um, Sprite or something clear, you know, and then progressing um, as, as tolerated as what we call, you know, crackers, toast, um, fruit that's not citric, uh, citrus, those types of things um, can help give our body some fluid and some electrolytes a room humidifier Uh, a room humidifier can absolutely help folks who are feeling congested you know if their nose is really the the tissues inside their nose are really swollen sometimes a humidifier will help with that as well as helping to thin the snot you know if they've got a lot of nasal congestion um, or help thin the secretions that they're coughing up so a humidifier is fine. There's okay. usually add, two add, kinds of add, humidifiers. Go ahead. Right. Add menthol? Uh, if you enjoy it, that's fine. Um, really, the menthol smell just kind of almost tricks the brain into feeling like it's opened up a little bit better. So the menthol is fine if you want to add it in there. There are warm mist humidifiers and cool mist humidifiers. I usually recommend cool mist humidifiers for Anyone who is wanting to do a humidifier, you know, in cold and flu season, because the warm mist humidifiers for people who have um, decreased sensation or are more likely to fall or trip, especially little kids, that kind of stuff, 
if they pull that down over on themselves, that water can be hot enough to give a, a burn, as well as the warmth in the filter can promote bacterial growth. So that's why I usually prefer a cool mist humidifier. Okay. Well, I hope I don't have to deal with it, but uh, it's good information. As do I. Stay safe, okay? Okay. Thank you. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we are answering questions today about general health and wellness, as well as questions related to COVID-19. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org or drop me a message over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. In fact, Josie, we do have some things from your Facebook page, so we'll go over a couple of those. This first one asks, uh, what role do the handmade masks play in protecting healthcare workers? Do they prefer certain characteristics like ties versus elastic designs, patterns, etc.? Great question, especially with the new uh, guidance being put out about the general public even wearing masks when we go outside or out into into the public spaces. So I think first we need to talk about what the, the, the different roles of a mask, right? There can be just a physical barrier or something that has filtering capabilities, right? And so when we think about surgical masks that are manufactured by a health entity, as well as the N95 masks, uh, which you've probably heard a lot out in the media, those have different filtering capabilities. The N95s are kind of the, the best in terms of filtering because they are specially fitted to uh, the individual wearer. I mentioned last week about the fit tests that we have um, at UMC that we have done at least on an annual basis to make sure that the masks that we're issued fit appropriately. And so those are going to be best for the folks who are working directly with COVID-19 positive patients um, that are being exposed to what they're calling aerosol generating procedures. So it, that intubation that we talked about at the beginning part of the show. Then the surgical mask 
depending on which type of mask it is, has filtering capabilities as well, but it doesn't fit as tightly against the face. So there's the potential for things to maybe get in the sides and when you exhale out some air to get pushed out around the sides of those masks, right? Think about if you've ever put one of those masks on and then worn glasses, your glasses fog up sometimes. That's because air is escaping around it. And then there are the cloth masks and the cloth mask filtering capabilities on those are going to depend on the type of material that's used to construct those as well as how many layers are used in that as well as if they have any type of additional filter inserted into there. I've seen some people put a flannel insert in or, um, a vacuum cleaner bag, insert different things that have been inserted into there. The cloth masks for the general population really is serving as not so much for filtering, but for a barrier. So, you know, we know that there are people who are asymptomatic with COVID-19, so they're infected, but they're not showing any symptoms. And if they're out in the general public, they might be able to spread that. And so if they're wearing a mask, then it would cut down on their ability to transmit, as well as if you're wearing a mask, it would block some of the big droplets and those types of things that could land on you. And so while they're not ideal for someone at the bedside caring for folks that we know have COVID-19, they work well as a physical barrier. And then what I've seen a lot of healthcare providers do is, you know, take our, our N95 that we have on and then put it on and then put one of the cloth masks over it just to protect the outside of our N95 so that it doesn't get soiled as quickly. That way we can make it last longer. That's a great idea that I had not have heard of, but it certainly makes sense is that a mask to protect the mask, as it were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it can be laundered. You know, we can take those cloth masks and then um, launder them in hot water and dry them on the hottest setting and feel pretty confident about using those as a barrier to protect our mask. And so the second part of that question was, you know, what, uh, are there anything preferred about that? You know, there are tie ones and there are elastic ones. Um, I would say it's probably based on the provider's individual preference. So I think it's fine to make either one. Um, the elastic loop ones are a little easier to put on just because you're not having to, to tie a bow, especially if you've got um, kind of unwieldy hair. Um, tying a tie might be a little bit more difficult. But there's drawbacks to the elastic ones as well, especially people who are wearing them for hours and hours and hours on end. It's causing some irritation and breakdown to the backs of the ears. And so you may see some folks online that are sewing. They're almost, they're like cloth headbands almost that have a button sewn on the side of them. And the button is what is holding the uh, elastic. So it's taking some of the pressure off of the ear. Uh, there's also a, a Boy Scout that I saw that used his 3D printer to print uh, some little plastic hook devices that can be used on the back of the mask so that it's holding it in place instead of, again, putting pressure on that ear. So I've been so encouraged at just the that the breadth of innovation that is uh, coming out of people during this time. In terms of patterns, remember that there are men 
in healthcare as well. So I see a lot of really cute patterns, but you know, throw some solid colors in there as well. Um, but I'm sure a male healthcare provider will wear a pokey dotted mask if that is all we've got. All right. This is Southern <laughs> Remedy Healthy and Fit. Uh, Dr. Josie Bidwell with us this morning, as she always is every Monday morning, ready to take questions about the coronavirus uh, pandemic and COVID-19, but also just generally how to stay healthy and fit. If you have a phone call, if you have a question, that is, the phone call number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four another question from josie's facebook page is which hospitals are accepting donations of masks and are they accepting donations of other items it's a great question and i did a little um little digging around to see of course uh university of mississippi medical center has a great um facebook presence and is really great about pushing out our needs in terms of PPE. And so um, following UMC's Facebook page is a a great way to stay abreast of the things that we need. Um, But And there's a website as well. That's umc.edu slash COVID-19 donations is a, a good place. But some of the things that UMC is currently recruiting for are new or unused N95 masks, regular disposable surgical masks, nitrile gloves, protective gowns, and then the hand-sewn cloth masks. In terms of new or gently used, things like safety goggles and, and eye protection, as well as things like tablets and smartphones and webcams and those types of things. Um, I, I went over to St. Dominic's website as well, um, and they have, let me see, I pulled it up, a, a email address called contact at saintdom.com that you could inquire about um, donations there for, let's see, Baptist Memorial Health. There's also the uh, Healthcare Foundation. And so they have a number online that you can call. Um, and they are requesting things like homemade face masks, personal protective equipment, or food for the healthcare workers. There's a form that you can fill out on the baptistonline.org website, as well as that phone number that was listed there. Um, and that, and then North Mississippi Health Services also has a healthcare foundation page that provides lots of information there. So it's looking like the majority of hospitals are accepting donations. If you can't find um, specifics about it, I would just call their kind of customer service hotline and and ask to be put in place with someone that can handle your donations. All right, Josie, we've got uh, three phone calls on the line. What I'd like to do is let's take this first one. We'll take a break and then we'll pick up the other two. So we will start again. Uh, Jerry is on the line from Ashland. Good morning, Jerry. Go ahead. Hey, thank you guys for being there. And I've always thought medical put themselves at harm's way all the time every day so thank you for doing that i have uh, two questions for you um, okay the first is uh in a pinch could a cpap be used as a ventilator that's the first question and the second okay. question is what do you think of the uh, governor of georgia opening up his beaches to the public gotcha that's all okay. my questions I'll, I'll i'll take my answer offline thank you bye okay great so the first one about CPAP, that has definitely, so I belong to kind of lots of information sharing groups 
uh, on social media where we're sharing best practices across different health systems and how best to address this. And that was actually posted last night as could a CPAP be used for this? And so uh, the consensus is not, there's not a consensus statement on that, but it's leaning towards probably not because the CPAP just provides pressure support. It doesn't actually provide um, a, a breath per se. Like a, a CPAP machine requires the individual to take a breath and then it just gives added pressure to help hold that airway open. So if someone was not able to breathe at the rate that we needed to support life, the CPAP machine is not going to, to do that. So right now, they're not thinking it's a viable option for that. Um, in regards to the Georgia governor, so I'm not like super well read on this particular subject with him yet. It did come across my feed last night and I clicked on it and read it. And what it was looking like was that kind of individual local places had closed things down. And then when, when the shelter in place order was initiated, it kind of wiped all of that out, which automatically reopened some of the beaches. So I don't know that it was intentional to reopen the beaches per se, but I just haven't read enough about what his actual executive order says. So that, that'll be my light reading for this afternoon is to dig a little farther down into what his executive order is and why it overrode the closure of the beaches. But I think, you know, regardless of what orders we have in place, we've all got to use um, uh, our common sense and not gathering in large places and, you know, not throwing parties on the beach and those types of things still employ those social distancing measures to, to protect ourselves, but also our fellow human. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. We're answering your general health and wellness questions as well as your questions about COVID-19 today. You can interact with us in several ways. If you would like to hop on the phone lines, our number is one mpb ring You can send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Or you can interact with me over on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. And we do have a couple callers on the line. So we're going to go on over to Fulton, Mississippi and talk with Becky. 
Good morning, Becky. Good morning. How are you? I am doing just fine. What can I help you with? Yes, ma'am. I I do not have internet um, right now, and and so I wanted to ask a question. I, I wanted to ask your recommendation about this. Uh, I'd like to do core exercises or try to do more to improve my core during this time mm-hmm. where uh, where we're self quarantining. And I was just wondering if you had recommendations other than walking or I have a set of pulleys that I'm using, you know, and it it definitely will work out your core. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can you recommend anything else? I mean, obviously sit-ups, but, you know, that, I mean, if you, if you haven't done, if you haven't been exercising in a while, it's kind of, you know, that's, that's a tough one to do. It um, is. It is. You can always do a crunch instead of a sit-up. Mm-hmm. So that it will, you know, won't take you all the way up. It's going to work mm-hmm. a different part of your core, but still get you a little bit of workout there. Um, then one of my favorites for core is a plank. Are you familiar with the plank? Okay. Uh, go ahead and tell me. <laughs> it's uh, almost I, like being in, I, in the push-up position, but you're uh, on kind of your elbows instead of your hands. But your body okay. is being straightened out but elevated off the ground and so it works your shoulders but it also works really your abdominal muscles very very well as well as some lower back muscles and some booty muscles um, for that so now it is is deceptively hard it 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 looks easy you're like oh I can do Mm -hmm. that Um, Mm -hmm. but it, it it's harder to do and so when you get into that position you tend to hold it for a certain amount of seconds and some people are really, really, really good at it uh, and can hold it for several minutes. I would just start with 10 or 15 seconds of trying to hold that position there. Um, you can do that even in a modified position. So instead of being on elbows and toes, you could do elbows and knees and try and hold that position there for okay. 10 seconds or so. And that will help to, to work on core. Um, balance exercises help with your core strength as well. So, you know, balancing on one foot, um, making sure that you're able to grab onto something if you're losing your balance. So I usually do those exercises standing right next to a wall. That way I can put my hand against it if I need to. But all those things help with strengthening core exercise, your core muscles. I'm scared, but I'll try this. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, Don't be scared. Just start. First of all, I would ask, are you currently what's your current exercise regimen in terms of aerobic fitness? So walking or biking or jogging or any of those types of things. Well, I started walking again. I mean, I, I, I'm doing, I mean, I'm sick. And so I, I, you know, since I've been better, I started walking again and, okay. and I'm doing, you know, I just like will walk four tenths of a mile and then I'll walk it, you know, do, do it more than once a day so that okay. you know, I'm getting in, I'm getting in over a mile. It's just that I'm not doing it all at once. Okay. So, is that, how long does it take you to walk that um, point four? Uh, uh, about 30 minutes. But okay. then again, okay. I have a dog with it. Yeah. With me. So, yeah. 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 So you do it 30 minutes, kind of one in the morning and maybe 30 minutes in the afternoon. Yes. Well, it's, it's I ended up doing three times a day. So, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. And you're doing it every single day. I've just started doing this, so I'm like, okay, okay. I, you know, I'm like, I don't know, you know, how to balance this, but um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, so sorry. I would focus on building some stamina with that first before okay. 
even building in these core exercises. So, you know, stay with the walking. What we're trying to get is anywhere from 150 to 300 minutes of walking in a week. And once we're consistently doing that, um, you know, for one to two weeks and we're comfortable with it and we're not overly fatigued, things like that, then we can start incorporating some of those other um, exercises in, into that. Um, okay. well, does that I'm make sense? To, I'm sorry. Yes, it makes great sense. I, I just, okay. I was trying to figure out, I'm, I have knee issues. So, yeah. you know, so, you know, I was trying to do the walking first so I could try to strengthen my knees. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an excellent place to start. Do you know anyone who has internet access that could print something out for you? Yes. Okay. So if you go to the Southern Remedy website, so just mpbonline.org slash Southern Remedy. Okay. When you go there, you should see a healthy living banner on there. Okay. Click on it and you'll find the fitness prescription. And so there's a walking program in there. And then there's also exercises that will work on balance and core in there as well. And it talks to you about how many times to do it, how long to hold those exercises and all of that. Um, And so I wrote that program to be done at home. So you don't need any special equipment to be able to do that. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good luck with it. Feel free to call me back if you need something. Okay. All right, uh, Josie, uh, next up we have Darren in Tishomingo County. Darren, you're on air with us, so go ahead, please. Okay, thank you. I have two questions about uh, one is if you, you know, you take your, put your mask on and go shop, get your groceries, come back, and uh, it's, it's, I heard that you might could take, you might should take a hair dryer, put it on high, uh, low speed, high heat, and hold it in your face for about four or five minutes. Does that does that make sense at all? That does not sound like a good idea, um, because I, you know I talked about those masks not fitting firmly on your face, and so if we're wearing those masks out in public, there's the potential that there are now germs on the outside of that mask. And if we've got that mask on and we're blowing air in our face, then there's the potential to dislodge some of those germs and blow them into your eyes. So not not what I would do there. What we want to do, because I would imagine where that particular advice was coming from, is to decrease um, the, the risk of you touching the outside of your mask and having germs on it and then transferring those germs to yourself. So this is where washing your hands is your best friend, right? So... We want to not grab the mask by the front part to remove it. If it's one that has ear loops, then that's all we want to touch. We just want to run. We want to first wash our hands when we get back from grocery shopping or, you know, using uh, sanitizing wipes in the car, all of those different kinds of things. And so start with clean hands and just slip your finger behind that ear loop to take that mask off. And once the mask is off, then hand hygiene and really good hand washing again to remove any potential germs that you've got on your hand in the removal of the mask. So, so nothing to, so, so leave the hair dryer out of the situation. I would I, definitely leave the hair dryer out of that particular scenario. Which, of course, I didn't mean with the mask on after I got back home and went with it off. Oh, well. You're just going to, all right, so we've got the mask off, and so now we're going to put the hair dryer on our face. 
yeah, high heat, mm. low speed for four, four or five minutes. I don't think that really adds anything to the process. Um, if you're concerned, I would just wash my face with soap and water, but I wouldn't apply heat and air into my face because I really think it's going to cause more problems than, than we would like. Well, I'm glad you said that about not touching the front of the mask, too. Though. But anyway, yeah. the, second, the second question was uh, a damp atmosphere, like in your house, I mean, you know, like the humidifier, I think you said something mm-hmm. about it a while ago. It's, I mean, should you have a damper atmosphere or, or a dryer in your house? Well, you know, drier air tends to dry out our nasal passages and things like that, which in cold and flu season, a dry environment in your sinuses actually makes you more susceptible to an infection. So that's why a lot of times during the the winter, we advise using like saline spray in your nose and those types of things to keep it moist. I don't think it's anything that we have to add into our current situation now. You know, Mississippi in general is a pretty humid area and we're entering an even more humid time of the year. So it's not something that I would say you absolutely need to go out and get a humidifier. It does just help folks who are ill and they're feeling stuffy to help thin out some of those secretions, but not, it's not a magic bullet for anything. Right. So that could go either way. Dry or wet. Yep. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Malcolm White with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour arts interview show on think radio every week myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative mississippians we talk with visual artists musicians writers as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities we hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process you can hear the arts hour every sunday at 5 p.m on think radio or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we've been answering your questions today about general health and wellness as well as your questions about COVID-19. We're in the last segment of the hour, so now's the time. If you haven't gotten us your question, you can send it to fit at mpbonline.org. You can send it on to my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, and our phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring We're going to go over uh, and talk with Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I'd like to ask, a, I guess, a sort of ex- existential sort of question, theoretical thing. I've often wondered why viruses and bacteria will invade a a body and kill it when it would seem that they would want to keep their host alive, you know. So why why is it that that these these 
bacteria and viruses will, will kill you and, and they go with you. I mean, it looks like they would want to keep you alive so they could stay alive too. Well, we've got to be careful to not give them more uh, power than they do, right? So they don't, they don't have a brain. So they're not necessarily thinking. All they're doing is consuming resources, which is what they do when they get into the body. So they're consuming resources and replicating. And so once all the resources are consumed, then they move on to another host. And so it's, it's not, they're not conscious of their decision or, or, their, or how much they can take without causing detriment to, to the host. So it's, it was a great question. But that's kind of the, the best answer I have um, for that is it's, it's not a conscious process on their part. Well, thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thanks, Sue, for your call. Next, uh, let's go to Jim, who's called in from Houston today. Good morning, Jim. You're on the air. Good morning. Thank you, sir. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay. Yes, sir. You're on the air. I'm on, okay. Can help you with? Uh, I can't find any, any rubbing alcohol here in, in uh, Chickasaw County. But we just now opened up some liquor stores, and what I wonder, and I hope you won't think I'm being foolish, but can you use something like 140-proof vodka as rubbing alcohol? Will it, will it work as a disinfectant? So I actually was reviewing the CDC's stance on that this morning, and they say no. No. Um, so they say that it doesn't have um, enough killing power to work as an actual disinfectant. Um, So, you know, the best one out there is just your plain old Clorox or your bleach, if you can find it. Um, I still have some Clorox, yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, and so diluting that bleach um, with water. um, And what I've done, there's two things I've got going on. I've got one spray bottle that I've got water and Clorox in, and then I've got an old Clorox wipe container that I cleaned out. And I have, I took a t-shirt that was clean, freshly laundered, and uh, cut it up into rags and put it over in there and then put that same Clorox um, dilution in there. And so that's what I use to wipe my counters down with. And then I can squeeze those out and dump them in the washing machine and wash them and keep them clean and continue to do that. Because there are several steps to the cleaning process. There's cleaning, which is just removing like physically removing the germs. That's what we get with, you know, some soap and water and those kinds of things. And then there's actual disinfection and sanitation. And that depends on how long you let the solution sit on the surface before you wipe it off or if you just allow it to dry. And what kind of concentration, what kind of mixture would you normally use? Let's see. I have it, maybe. I pulled it up from the CDC today because they had some pretty good dilution Um properties let's see if i can get to it i want to say it was three or four teaspoons per quart of water but don't hold me on that it should have dilutions actually on the back of your clorox bottle oh, I, yeah, um, for yeah. for making for making that but it won't um, take much i mean what i have no time. it does not take much okay. at all and then always remember to be careful if you're pouring it into maybe a recycled bottle or something like that we never want to mix Right. Uh, bleach with ammonia because uh, that will make a very uh, bad gas that will make us very ill. So always um, starting with a clean bottle to do that. There's no way that there's no way to use Clorox on your skin, is it? Like for 
I would not. It's going to cause more kind of cracking and chapping of the skin and irritation of the skin. You'd probably actually wind up with a contact dermatitis. And and we don't want want you to be going to the doctor if you don't have to. So I would not do that. Uh, and and, And the vodka wouldn't work for that either, would it? I would not. The best thing for your hands is just good old soap and water, all making right. sure that you do it for at least 20 seconds and get in all the nooks and crannies. So make okay. sure you're getting your wrist and in between your fingers and around your fingernails and all of those different kinds of areas. Uh, I came in late today, and you may have already have answered this question. Mm-hmm. What about microwaving face masks and So the the jury's still out on that. Um, You know, uh, some types of masks have a metal strip in the top, like the kinds of masks I wear have a metal strip in the top so that I can um, conform it around my nose. And so those absolutely we wouldn't want to put in the microwave unless we wanted a little fireworks show in our microwave. Um, And then the paper ones, you know, depending on what they're made of and how they're made, they may melt. They may catch on fire. And then does microwaving um, decrease the filtering capability of, oh. of the mask? And so we just don't know on those. So I'm, I'm hesitant um, on that particular way of disinfecting um, the mask currently. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed talking to you. You're very helpful. And please keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much for giving us a call. All right, uh, Josie, next we've got uh, Gwen from Holly Springs. Gwen, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Yes, I was wondering if you found out uh, whether salt kills the virus, like on vegetables Uh, and fruit. Yes, ma'am. I am so glad you called because we had it on our list, didn't we, Kevin? Yes, we did. We were going to cover it today. And so I did some digging on that as well, and it doesn't look like it does. So the the salt wash was great at removing pesticides. Uh-huh. And so, you know, if um, if that's something that you're concerned about, if you're not going to be peeling it or if it's not organic, those types of things, then the salt wash uh, was great for doing that, um, but not necessarily for removing, um, you know, viral particles or anything like that. I don't think anybody's actually looked at the ability of salt to remove that, but current food handling guidelines are just water with a a veggie brush, or if you want an extra layer of protection, even adding a little bit of soap um, to that, to the water and kind of actually washing your vegetables with a little bit of soap, just making sure that you rinse those appropriately. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, Josie, we've got about a minute and a half left. And uh, I think in the news this morning, I saw that, is it uh, uh, in the Bronx Zoo, I think, that a tiger has uh, come down with COVID-19. Did you hear about that? And and what could you comment on that? Yeah, I did. Um, Of course, everybody, whenever something like that comes out, they they send me the links, which I'm grateful for. I would rather folks send it to me and let me try and dig through it and see what's going on. I believe it was... uh, a a four-year-old tiger and then I think one more tiger and then maybe two lions that have tested positive. Um, And they believe that they were infected perhaps from an asymptomatic zoo worker there. Um, And so it's definitely something we need to monitor. But what we don't know yet is would that animal be able to transmit back to a human? And so we just don't know that yet. And so I know a lot of people are... um, concerned about their house pet and those types of things. There's no evidence currently to support that house pets are in any way um, 
carrying or transmitting this. So, you know, don't dump, dump your puppies, those kinds of things. But I think we'll learn more about this particular scenario in the coming days where we're able to learn, are they able to aerosolize the virus and get it out or not? Or are they just kind of um, carriers that are not able to transmit? I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.